All right, we're on day two, sermon number two on our series on the book of Revelation and songs of the apocalypse. So last week, I kind of gave, I went over chapter two, but this week we're going to go right back to chapter one. We're going to start from the very beginning. And last week, we kind of, I kind of framed out that we need to understand, in order to understand Revelation, you need to understand Genesis and all the books in between, because it's a very confusing book, but it gets so simple. Believe it or not, it gets so simple if you know all the other books, and if you can see the big picture, it just becomes easier to digest, it becomes easier to eat, and this is, we want you to eat the Word of God, and so... This is why we have a daily Bible reading plan, because you've got to get the big picture in order to understand the end. And so Revelation is the closing of the curtain, and Genesis is the opening of the curtain. And so we are looking at the end. Before I have Landon come up and give us a special song, um, let me explain something in your bulletin real quick. Um, Today's title is not the end of the world as we know it. So you can cross that out. Uh, I was supposed to be preaching this, uh, co-preaching this with Pastor Michael Jones. Uh, that's going to be next week. Uh, Michael came down with the bad case of spiritual warfare, and so we had a punt. So we're punting. So next week will be the end of the world as we know it. Landon's going to do a very special song that ne- actually applies to next week. But today we're talking about John the Revelator. Chapter 1, verse 1. The revel... Oh, and just so you know, my teaching style changes here and there. Sometimes I'm topical. Sometimes I preach. Sometimes I teach. Today I'm in teach mode. And for, for the most part, we're going to be looking... I'm going to be preaching in an expositional way, a, a expository preaching. So it's going to be a lot of line-by-line stuff. So... Plug in your brain, okay? I'm not going to be working your emotions. I'm going to be working your mind a little bit today, all right? So, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants that what must take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. All right, we'll just stop right there. First of all, revelation. In the Greek, revelation is apocalypto or apocalypse. You've heard this word before, apocalypse, right? Apocalypse now, the famous, you know, Vietnam movie. Do you know what the definition of apocalypse is? Or revelation. We're talking about the same word here. It means an unveiling. So usually when we hear the word apocalypse, like we're thinking war and nuclear bombs and bloody horses and things like that, right? But what it actually means is an unveiling. And this is the revelation or the unveiling of Jesus. And there's two ways that I want you to look at it. Oh, first of all, think about, think about, we don't do this anymore when people get married, but think about a bride's veil. Right? Remember you used to put a veil over there? They don't do that anymore. I do a lot of weddings. They just don't do that anymore. I don't know why. They'll probably bring it back someday. But in the good old days, you used to, the, the bride used to have a veil. And before 
she was bound to, the, to her groom, they would lift the veil and they would reveal her face. And so that is what is going on. And in one aspect, we are revealing the face of Jesus. Okay, so this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So that's one way to look at it. The other way that I want to encourage you to look at it is that Jesus is the one that's lifting up the veil so that we can see the things that are to come. That's why would, why would the Lord want us to do that? Because he wants to encourage us. He wants to show us that he is in control, that he, that he knows what's going to take place. And he's here and he's giving us this book for comfort. So that's the first part. That's the first little expository that I've done just on the definition of revelation slash apocalypse. And sent to his angel, to his servant, John. John the Revelator. Now, who is this John? We are going to take, I am going to take the traditional view. Now, higher critics have, have blown it all apart and said this is a different John, uh, but tradition tells us that this is the Apostle John. This is, this is the Apostle in whom Jesus loved. And we know that in the Gospels, the relationship between John and Jesus was the relationship between an older mentor and, and a young student. Now, some of Jesus' disciples were around his age, 30, 32, 33, like Peter, and you know, they, maybe James and John were a little bit younger. They think Matthew might have been older, despite what the new show says. We don't exactly know all their ages, but we can kind of infer how old they are. But almost all scholars believe that John was a teenager. And you can see it in their interaction. You know, at the Last Supper, you know, John gets tired and he has this affection towards Jesus where he feels comfortable to lay his, his, shoulder, his head on, on Jesus' shoulder. It's very sweet. And we believe that this is the very same John, the disciple in whom Jesus loved, had that special relationship with. At the writing of this, John is pushing 80. Anywhere between 70 to 80 years old when he writes this down, when he has this revelation. He is basically in house arrest, stuck on the island of Patmos. Um, the persecutions begin to unroll during this time. Uh, John has seen the persecutions of Nero, the, the evil emperor, the evil Roman emperor that decided that he was going to light up his garden with Christians, like literally putting Christians on stakes in rows to make sure that his garden looked pretty for his party. Could have also been during the time of Domitian where persecution got really bad and then you know, they started feeding Christians to the lions. So we're not, John was no, uh, uh, he, he experienced a lot. Clearly, he understood what persecution was. All right. To his servant John, who testifies to everything that he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. This will encourage you all. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. Amen? 
So this is why we want you to read it. You might not understand it, but if you read it, you have a promise to be blessed. Who reads the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Okay, so I want to encourage you to read this word of God. I want you to see it with your eyes. Yeah? you got to see it with your eyes. And when you read it, like, when, once you get into the, the heart of it, like, it's going to activate your imagination. It's going to get very vivid. It's going to get very bold in some of the, the imagery that, comes, that takes place. Like, we want you to see it. But we also want you to hear it. Did you catch that? So blessed is the one who reads it and sees it with their eyes, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart. So not only do you need to read it and get it into your mind intellectually, but you need to hear it with your ears and take it to heart. Isn't that a fascinating perspective? So you can't just read it, you got to hear it. Throughout John's visions, you will see his experience with the Lord take place in, in very specific ways. He hears the word of God. He hears something, and when he hears it, this is going to be difficult, but he hears it in the spirit. And then he turns and he sees it with his eyes. And usually it's two different things, but it's the same thing. So I want to encourage you when we get into this, see it with your mind, but hear it with your heart. Yeah? Okay. To the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you whom it is, and who was, excuse me, grace and peace to you from whom is and whom was and whom is to come, from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of earth, to him who loves and is has uh, freed us from our sins and the blood that has made us a kingdom and priests to serve God and Father. To him be the glory and the power forever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him and those who pierced him and all the people of all the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. The end is coming. So this song will apply to what our um, attitude should be for this Sunday. You can do it? No. We're going to do John the Revelator today. Hit it. Thank you, Landon. All right. The thing about this song. It, uh, it doesn't come from the same type of church as we are, so it takes just a little bit of audience participation. Okay, so all I need you to do, you don't have to stand up. I would never. I'm not that bold. <laughs> but while you're in your seat, can everybody just take their right foot and stomp it on the ground? All right, just together. One, two, three. All right, now take your hands. This is a new thing. Uh, we're going to put them together on three. One, two, three. Okay. So the song goes, 
I'm a, we're going to go one foot and then one hand, okay? So. Yeah, keep it going. Who's that writing, John the Revelator? Who's that writing, John the Revelator? Who's that writing, John the Revelator? Wrote the book of the seven seals. You know God walked in the cool of the day, called Adam by his name. But he refused to answer, because he was naked and ashamed. Now tell me, who's that writing, John the Revelator? Who's that writing, John the Revelator? seven seals. You know, Christ had 12 apostles, and he led three away. He said, watch with me one hour as I go yonder to pray. Oh, who's that writing? John the Revelator. Who's that writing? John the Revelator. Who's that writing? John the Revelator wrote the book of the seven seals. Easter morning, Mary and Martha came down to see. He said, go tell my disciples to meet me in Galilee. Tell me who's that right? John the Revelator. Who's that right? John the Revelator. Who's that right? John the Revelator wrote the book of the seven seals. Oh, tell me who's that right? John the Revelator. Who's that right? John the Revelator. Who's John the Revelator of the Book of the Seven Seals. Hey, Landon. All right, you now have heard it. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Verse 8 says the Lord who is and who was and who is to come. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering of the kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. Hey, what's the Lord's day, by the way? Today. Today is the Lord's Day, Sunday. I was in the Spirit. So he had an incredible prayer life. But sometimes the Lord will move you into the Spirit. He is in a different place. He is in a, a different dimension. He is in heavenly realms. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. Did you guys catch that? He heard and then he saw. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands 
was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool and white as snow, and his eyes were blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like that, the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like that, the sun shining in all of its brilliance. Now, if you are reading along with us during this series, that will be very familiar to you because that is out of the book of Daniel chapter 7. Almost word for word, almost description for description. One little difference. Here it says, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And Daniel it says that his voice was that of a multitude. So there's something going on with sound. And when we get into the seven trumpets and all that stuff, there is something going on with sound that is very important to God. And when we get to it, you will see that when God speaks or when God blows his horns, all of creation wakes up. It's not necessarily could be but it's not like silver trumpets or shofar ram's horns it is a frequency of the divine that resonates within your being and when we hear his voice like the rushings of waters or great multitudes or when we hear the horns of his divine proclamations everybody's going to wake up and pay attention because it's going to speak to us When I saw him, I fell at his feet, Daniel did too, as though dead. When he placed his right hand on me, he said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death in Hades. Okay, we can figure out who this is, right? Thank you. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place. Right now, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place. So he's saying, okay, I want you to write down your experiences, you know, what you've, uh, what you've seen in the past, what is taking place right now, and what is to come. So this is actually a very important verse on how to interpret Revelation. It's past, present, and future. So we're going to be looking at, the, at his present time. Today. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my hand, my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands is this. This is brilliant because they actually interpret it for us. We don't really have to take a hard stab at like what's going on here. The seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. All right. Uh, Crystal, why don't you bring up the picture? So, Paul, or excuse me, Paul, John, the revelator, he is writing to seven specific churches. 
So this is important for us to get. Yes, we can learn and we will glean. Uh, we're going to be discipled by this text. But in its context, Paul, uh, I gotta quit saying Paul. John, <laughs> John is writing to some very specific churches for some very specific reasons. These are the, these are the seven churches. These are the seven lampstands. And so when he's saying seven lampstands, whenever he's making a reference to a lampstand, in, his, in this context, it is a church. We are a lampstand in Claremont. Isn't that exciting? So that's why we have to have our light shine, because we are a lampstand. Blazing bright. That's what those seven stars in Jesus' in hand were. They were very specific things. What are the seven angels? A couple of two ways you can interpret this one. One, the literal interpretation that they are literal angels. The only issue with that is, and it could possibly be, because I believe that we have angels assigned to our church. Mm-hmm. At least four. I think it is fair to say that every church that follows Jesus Christ has at least one angel assigned to them. So I think that that's fair to say. But here's the issue that I have, and, and most commentaries and scholars, they, they take a different interpretation. Because angels are spirit beings, and, well, they don't need a mortal to write them a letter to know what's going on. They know what's going on. They're, they're better connected to God than we are. In Hebrew, the word angel, trans, well, we're going into living nativity. You guys ought to know what this is by now. What is, what is the interpretation of angel? What? Yeah. Messenger. Yep. So, these are the seven messengers of these churches. So I believe, and most scholars believe, and commentators believe, that these seven messengers are the seven leaders of these churches. Either they're apostles or pastors. They're just referring to them as angels in this case. They're the seven messengers. They are, they are proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. I am a messenger of Granite Creek. So from now on, you just call me Angel Josh. Right? I am your little angel. So he is writing to seven churches for very specific reasons, and he's addressing, I believe, their leaders, their pastors. All right, so we're going to jump into chapter two, and we're going to take a look at them. Oh, I think I can do so much for the expository teaching. I don't think I'm going to be able to get to it. All right, chapter two, we're going to skip over to verse eight, to the angel or the messenger of the church in Smyrna. Bring up my map, of, map again. Ah, never mind. To the church of Smyrna. There it is. All right. Da, 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 right over there. This is modern-day Turkey. You know where Turkey is? All right. Modern-day Turkey, Smyrna on the coast. Ancient Turkey didn't look anything like modern-day Turkey. It was basically Greek. 
It was Hellenized. It was Romanized. It, whenever you think of you know, Athens or Rome, that's the culture of the area that we're talking about right now. They call it Asia, but it was so Hellenized. They had amphitheaters. They had statues. They, had, they worshiped the Greek gods. It was, it was like being in a, you know, a movie with, about the Greek gods. It would have been awesome. No, it would have been horrible, but um, that's the culture. It's a very Hellenized Greek culture. Smyrna is a great church. And when Jesus is saying to John, write these things down, Smyrna gets a good report card. In the seven churches, you're going to see um, things that they're, you know, the Lord will say, these are the things that you're doing right. These are the things that you're not doing right. Smyrna doesn't get any negative stuff. Isn't that cool? Let's listen. These are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your afflictions and your poverty, and yet you are rich. And so he's admonishing this church. He's like, I know you guys are going through a hard time. You're poor, but you know what? You guys are rich, and you guys know it. So financially, you're poor, but relationally, you're strong. I know the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. I just, I, love, I don't know why I like that, that synagogue of Satan. Like, what in the world is going on there? Uh, when I used to live in Santa Barbara, there was an old church that went out of business off of State Street. It was like a cool, typical church that had a steeple and stained glass windows. They went out of business. And a skate shop bought it, like a skateboard shop bought the place or rented the place. And they, they changed the name to the Church of Skating. I know. So, this is a synagogue of Satan. I don't know what the difference is. It, it must have something to do with religious control and manipulating people. Because that's what Satan does. Do not be afraid of when you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison and test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. But be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you a crown of life. He who has an ear, what? Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. I don't have time to get into that. Research it yourself. The Church of Pergamum. These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Okay, so what John is saying is that Satan is, is like, like the physical, tangible being entity of Satan is hanging out in this city. I don't know where he's at right now. Most likely not Claremont. Most likely Las Vegas. Oh, did some of you go there this weekend? <laughs> I don't know where he's at, but he's, um, he is real. He is a, he's pulling somebody's strings somewhere. Uh, honestly, most likely, I, n- never mind. I'll get in trouble. <laughs> Yeah, but he's here at that city because there's warfare going on. 
Yet you, may, you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witnesses who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, okay, so remember, um, Smyrna didn't get a, didn't get a, a, a poke. Now we're going to get a stroke and a poke, okay? You know what I mean? Oh, you're so good. You do this with your kids. Oh, Johnny, you're such a good kid. You cleaned your room. But quit hitting your sister or I'm going to give you a spanking. Okay, so that's what's going on. Nevertheless, I have these things against you. You have people who hold to the teaching of Baal, who, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols, blah, blah, blah. So basically, they are incorporating all of the traps and snares that got the Israelites. It was basically sexual sin and perversion. It's kind of seeped in. Verse 17, he has in here, let him hear what the Spirit says to the seven churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. It's just a very sweet, intimate connection for those that persevere. To the angel of the church in uh, Thyatira, these are the words of the Son of God, those whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and your faith and your service and your perseverance. I know that you are now doing more than you did at first. So he's admonishing them. He's saying, good job. I know your love. I know your faith. I know your hard work. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. Okay, Jezebel's long dead. Uh, the dogs have lapped up her blood by now. And yet there is a spirit of Jezebel that falls upon God's children and God's church. It's a seductive political spirit. It's a political spirit that says there is an easier, better, fun way. Go my way. It's just sexier. Don't you want to have a sexy political party? Don't you want to have, um, don't you want to have your cake and eat it too? Don't you want to fulfill the desires of your flesh? So this Jezebel entices through sensuality, but she is violent. She's violent and she'll, well, never mind. To him, verse 26, to him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. So again, she's a political spirit. But if you fight this political spirit, what do you get? You get authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter when he dashes them to pieces like pottery. So she was dashed to pieces. She was thrown off a tower. To the angel of the church of Sardis, right? These are the words of him who holds the seven stars of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive. So Sardis is like a really cool church, right? 
They are alive. They're, you know, their music is bumping. They've got lasers. They've got haze machines. They have interpretive dancers that are professional. <laughs> Sorry. Like, it's the hip new cool church. It's alive. Everybody's coming to that. It's so cool. They got an amphitheater. I mean, this is awesome. You go there and you get entertained, right? You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Woo. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not spoiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes them like them will be dressed in white, and I will never blot out his name of the book of life. and will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, there's nothing wrong with big, giant, mega church. And chances are I'm not going to be your, your last pastor. You're gonna, some of us are going to move this year. Some of us are going to be called to different places. And you might have to vet another church. There's nothing wrong with big, giant, mega churches. You just want to be one of these that are dressed in white. Yeah? You want to be, you want to be one that, that aren't soiling their clothes for the sake of the show. To the angel of the church of Philadelphia, these are the words of him who is holy and is true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut, and I know that you have little strength, that you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So he's admonishing Philadelphia. I will make those who are, again, here's that uh, synagogue of Satan. I will make those who are a, of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep for you the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world, to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. That's a kind of an interesting challenge. I kind of a once saved, always saved kind of guy, right? I think I'm going to go to heaven even if I mess things up. But I don't want to lose my crown. Like, that seems conditional. Well, I'll just leave that right there. I 
I will also keep from you the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I hope we get that. We'll get into that later. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him a new name, and he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay? And then finally, Laodicea. Laodicea gets no admonishes. They get no strokes. They get all pokes. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful one, the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. So isn't that, that's rough, right? Laodicea, I know your deeds. It's not like you've been faithful, that you've been patient, that you've been loving, that you've fought hard, that you kept the faith. They don't get any of that. I know your deeds. You're neither hot nor cold. Ugh. He's like, well, let's just see what he says. I wish that you, would either, that you were either one or the other. So either be hot or be cold. Make up your mind. Quit being wishy-washy. So because of your lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say that I am rich and I have acquired wealth. I do not need a thing. Yeah, that, that's kind of sad about being rich, right? Because you don't put your faith in God. You put your faith in yourself. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. When was the last time you ever considered a rich person these things? Wretched, poor, pitiful, blind, and naked. No, they got their act together from our perspective, but not from God's. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire so that you can become rich and with white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and slave to put on your a slave to put on your eyes so that you can see. They can't see and they can't hear. All right, for those of you following along, did I miss one? I missed this I missed Ephesus, huh? Now, out of these churches, we can, we can, okay, again, this is written to a very specific church. And he's saying, if you guys don't straighten up in these areas, you guys are doing this great, but if you keep on worshiping Baal, if you keep on flirting around with Jezebel, then I'm going to take your lampstand away from you. So he's speaking to these communities, and he's saying, like, if you guys don't repent, if you guys don't start walking in righteousness, I will remove your church. Do you know what's kind of sad about John's vision, about his trying to disciple these churches? Is that it came true. Let's put, our, let's put the map back up. These churches... These, this community is no longer an influential community in the world, an influential Christian community in the world. Right now, these churches are nothing more than tourist sites. 
for pilgrims like us that want to go and visit the Holy Lands. Turkey today is 98% Muslim. At this time, when John was writing, it was getting close to being 90% Christian. When Paul was writing about his missionary journeys, he made this statement, which this is an incredible statement. He says, everyone in Asia has heard the gospel. Everyone in Turkey, that area, has heard the gospel. So at this time, again, we're probably, uh, John is probably 80 years old, 75 maybe. I mean, the church, I mean, Paul established a lot of these churches and, and, and John is working with them. It's just, it, it's a powerhouse. Like these churches changed the world. And yet now they're, they're not anything of any significance as far as a Christian influence. They're dead. Their lampstand was taken. They're tourist sites. I read that, you know, I forgot which one it was. I think it was, I think it's Ephesus, actually. So the Christian community that meets in Ephesus, they're expatriates from Africa. They're Africans. They're black Africans that, that are working in Turkey, and that's their church. The local people don't go to church anymore. Now, America is great. I love America. It is a, it's a, it's a faith-based nation, and it was built on Christian values, Judeo-Christian values. But if we don't heed these warnings, the Lord will take our lampstand. I, I don't, we don't want that for our community. We don't want that for our nation, but that's a very harsh reality. If he did it to Asia Minor, he can do it with us. We have to be faithful. We know statistically that Christianity is on a decline that there are more atheists and nuns now more than ever. The Pew Research came out with a study. By 2050, Christianity will, will no longer be the majority religion in this nation. We will be, we'll be overtaken by Islam. We have a lamp stand that needs to stay lit. Now, so I think that we could probably apply these abnimitions, these you know, good jobs to churches, maybe us, and the warnings to, can definitely be applied to us. If you know, Again, it's written to these churches here, but this applies to us, right? Remember, that's what they said. This is, you need to read this book as, as if you know, what has happened, what is happening now, and what will happen in the future. This is the future. We are living in the future. We're living in his future right now. These warnings are applying to us as well. And so I was just thinking and praying, Lord, which one is most like Granite Creek? I think that's a healthy question to ask. And... Sometimes, okay, the Lord speaks to me. Sometimes it's really clear. Sometimes it's a little hazy. Sometimes it's through impressions. This one was clear. I believe we're at Ephesus. I do. So let's turn back to chapter 2, verse 1. 
And let me, um, let me go back to who John, the revelator, was. Again, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, Paul started the church in Ephesus. But did you know that John pastored the church in Ephesus? He became that angel of that church. Ephesus was a major city. Now, out of, oh, let's put my map back up. Sorry, folks. Out of all of these seven cities, Ephesus is the hub. Ephesus is the center. It's the major, it's the deepest water port in that area. All the money is flowing through that area. Ephesus, I think, is a lot like Los Angeles. It's, okay, so you have people that are coming over for the holidays from other states, right? Anybody have people visiting from other states for, for the holidays? All right. Do they really want to hang out at your house and watch Netflix? They don't. What do they want to do? They want to go to Hollywood. They want to go see the sign. They want to go to Disneyland. They want to go to Knott's Berry Farm. They want to go to the Redwoods. They want to go to, they want to, go to all of these tourist sites. And when they do, when they go to Hollywood and they're on, that, they're on the, the stars, what are they buying? They're buying junk for their refrigerators, right? The magnets of stars and the Hollywood sign and postcards. And like, we just, we love our, our trinkets. And then that was Ephesus. Ephesus is known for, and, that, and Paul writes about it, it's known for getting souvenirs. Like souvenirs that you couldn't bring home to your kids. But everybody had an Ephesus souvenir. It was a major industry. And actually, Paul shut that industry down, and it caused a lot of problems. He wrecked an entire economy. Could you imagine if we tried to wreck the economy of Las Vegas? That's what Paul did. And so Ephesus is the hub. It's the major city to all these ports. It is the gateway into Asia, Asia Minor, if you will. And John is the pastor of that city. Kind of cool, huh? And just look how close they are. Like it's a few days journey to each one of those cities. We don't know for certain, but we can easily deduce that John, the revelator, has been to all those cities. Like if I was pastoring Philadelphia and I knew that the last disciple, the last living disciple that hadn't been murdered or, or martyred yet was just right up the street, don't you think that I'd make a phone call and arrange a special meeting and have him come down for a, a special you know, worship night with John or something? Yeah. Absolutely. So it's very easy for us to do is that he knew these cities and he knew these pastors personally. I mean, I kind of had to skip it, but he's even, he even, they're able, they're able to root out false teachers, like some wise guys that said, oh yeah, I was one of Jesus' disciples. And like, they didn't realize that John's sitting in the back and saying, no, you aren't, because I was there. <laughs> so, 
Just think about this for a second. Maybe you never thought about it in this way. John the Revelator gets caught up into the divine space. He is in the spirit, right? He is not in his body. He's in the spirit. And all of these things are being flooded in into him and downloaded into him. Like, it is a, it's a high. It's like, it's a rush. Like, he wants to die from this experience. It's intense. And the Lord is saying, remember that the, you know, Jesus with the white clothes and the white face and the white hair and the gold sash, and he's just beaming. Everything is just resonating off of him. He says, you need to write these down to these seven angels. We're going to start off with Ephesus. Oh, yeah, and by the way, that's your church. So, He's writing this to himself from the Lord. Isn't that kind of a cool thought to think about? He is writing this to himself. To the angel of the church in Ephesus. So he's writing that down. He's like, whoa, wait, that's me. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, right? These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. Granite Creek works hard, and we persevere. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men. We have a very high moral standard, I believe. We don't tolerate wickedness that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false you have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary our church has not grown weary other churches have grown weary and quit and stopped and shut their doors during the pandemic we did not grow weary all right you guys ready for the you guys ready for the poke now? We work hard, we're persistent, we're stubborn, we don't give up. We're Granite Creek. Here comes the poke. And yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do those things you did at first. Do those things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Those are like the cultural relevant people. Like we need to make church culturally relevant, so we're going to change the rules and rewrite the book. They were doing it back then. We do it today. He who has a hear, ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to those who overcome. I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So this is our promise. If we, if we not only continue to work hard, not only we continue to be faithful and persevere through hard times, not only do we uh, try to hold a standard of righteousness that we think that God would, be, that God would like, um, but more importantly, if we turn back to our first love, this is a very powerful promise that we get, to, we get to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I like that a lot. 
Do you know what this is like? Do you know why the Lord told me that, that we're this church and maybe I'm, this, I'm like John in this aspect? It's because your personal relationship with Jesus Christ is like any other relationship that you have. It's different because we're having a relationship with a, with a mortal person and a divine being. But we are still mortal, and we still come at God with our stuff and with our baggage. Now, when I first... Okay, why in the world do I do this? Have you ever thought about that? Why am I a pastor? There could be a lot of different reasons. I like power and control. Right? I, li- I, like, I like the big money. I like all the attention that I get. <laughs> I love you. But more importantly, the reason why I got into this is that I love Jesus. Now, there was, there was a day when I got it and I fell in love with Jesus completely captured by that person, the person of the second member of the Trinity, like completely feeling his love. Like, like it's something that you don't work up. It's something that you can't like conjure up inside of yourself. It doesn't come from within you. It comes from the outside, and then it begins to flow within. It is a love that is, un, I can't describe it, undeniable, undescribable love. And through my years and through my walks with Jesus, there has been other facets and other dimensions of God's love for me that has continued to capture me and and just like, like blow my mind. I have had some incredible mountaintop experiences. Raise your hand if you've ever had a mountaintop experience with the Lord. I have had those moments where it's like, I cannot fathom the love of God right now. For those of you that are married, do you remember the day you got married? Do you remember the day you first fell in love with your spouse? You remember all those feelings and all those emotions that you just couldn't wait to be with that person again. All you want to do is spend all your time with that person. That's what love is. And that's what what our relationship with, with Christ is. But again, we are human. And so your relationship with your spouse or with your kids, like... You know, there was a time when you loved them, when you first held your baby in your hands, you were, you were so connected, and well, now and then, then they turned two years old. <laughs> you know, one day you were in love with your spouse, they could do no wrong, you worshiped them, you put them on a, on a pedestal, and then they leave their clothes on the floor. <laughs> right? So we do that with the Lord. In your personal relationships, you have high highs, and you have low lows, and then you have all the flat space in between, yeah? The same is true with the Lord. You have your high highs, you have your mountaintop experiences, and then you have the muck and the mire, you are stuck in Sheol, you're in hell, just don't stop when you're going through hell. And then you have everything in between. Despite 
where you are at, whether you are in a high high and get, unfortunately, unfortunately, I'm going to disappoint some of you. Your relationship with the Lord isn't a constant state of high. It's not natural for us humans to be at a constant state of high. It's actually dysfunctional. We go through rhythms in life. And I guarantee you, if you're at a high point in your faith, the Lord will say, good, now let's go down into the dirt because we got some people to reach. Get a little dirty now. I will confess to this. I have been at the, the, the peaks with the Lord. I've come down from the top of the mountain, right? Maybe go into the valley, go into the pit a little bit, and then you're like, Lord, where are you? Why have you forsaken me, God? <laughs> no, he's still there. It is our perspective that needs to be tweaked. So, Here's the take-home. Here's the practical application. You can't stay at a constant state of high. God did not design us that way. But he did design us to be in a constant state of personal relationship with him. Meaning that no matter where you're at, in the, in the, in the, in the darkest pit or on the highest high, you can choose to rekindle your first love with the Lord. You can, you, can, you can choose to fall back in love with Jesus, to return to your first love. That is my admonition for you. Return to your first love. If you don't, revelation will drive you crazy. It'll scare the pants off of you. But if you return to your first love, love, then you will see the love emanating off of this book, and you will be blessed by this book. Return to your first love. Pastor Josh, I don't know how to do that. Well, here's one way you can do it. You're doing it right now. You're in the presence of God, and you're in the congregation. This is why the church was built. This is why Jesus created the church. His ecclesia, he created it so that we can encourage each other. Yeah. Look, there's times when I come into church and I'm not like floating on butterflies in love with Jesus. Anybody else want to confess to that? You know what I do? I draft off of somebody else. You know what I love about our youth group? Is that they find the they're they're like in love. They're in dating season with Jesus. It's so cool. Whenever I see a young person raising their hands, worshiping the Lord, falling in love with Jesus, I'm like, oh yeah, that's my first love. That's it right there. Thank you for modeling that to me. And I'm just gonna draft off of that. That's why you guys need to be in church. I guarantee you there's somebody in the building who is reconnected with their first love. There's somebody in the building that's doing that. Find them. Find somebody that is fascinated in love with the person of who Jesus is. Find them and draft off them. He loves you so much. He is completely 
infatuated with you. That's a sobering thought to think about. I mean, John's writing about it. He's completely, he loves us. He said in in chapter 1, he loves us and died for us and shed his blood for us so that he can be with us. He's completely infatuated with you. It might not be reciprocal. You might not be infatuated with Jesus right now. It's okay if you don't have those feelings, but you can choose those feelings. You can, and, and, and I'll just, like I did this this week. It's like, God, I, I, got, onto, I got into this business because I, I love Jesus. I love the face of Jesus. I love that he's revealed himself to me. That's why I got it. And at times, Lord, I, I just feel like I'm spanking sheep and, you know, administrating a big black building. And just very, very sweet and very simple. Just return to your first love. Just return to your first love. You, you just do that and everything else will fall into place. The lampstand will grow brighter mm-hmm. and it will begin to shine a light in the darkness. Amen? Mm-hmm. So I think that's for us. Landon, come on up. Grab your elements. Let's receive the Lord's Supper. Did I announce the Thanksgiving dinner today? I went, I mean, I told you we had a lot going on. It's a Thanksgiving dinner at four o'clock. Is that correct? You feel free to join us. We'd love to have you. It's like a potluck. So, you know, go to Trader Joe's and buy something and bring it. Mm -hmm. Buy a pumpkin pie. All right, back to chapter 1. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins. Amen? Amen. All have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. But this figure, clothed in white, has freed us from our sins. By his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha. I am the Omega, says the Lord. By his blood, he has set us free from our sins. By his body, we grow and are encouraged fall back in love with him. So, if you're not infatuated with Jesus Christ, receive the body of Christ and say this simple prayer. I want to fall back in love with my first love. Show me where you're at. Receive the body of Christ.
The blood of the lamb is so powerful. We don't even quite understand everything that it does. But in this moment, in this moment, forgives you of your sins, and if you believe it, heals you of your iniquities. There's power in the blood for transformation and for healing. Receive the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and the healing of your body. Thank you, Lord. And if I could have the ushers come to the front as we give back to the Lord. On the day of the Lord, on Sunday, Heavenly Father, may we fall back in love with your Son. Forgive us for thinking that our experiences correlate with your goodness and your love. They don't. You love us in every situation, in every circumstance. You always have an answer. You always have a way out, and you are always loving us. So, God, we just ask for your forgiveness for thinking that you don't love us. And we ask for forgiveness for letting our hearts grow a little distant from your affections. Draw us back to your affections, God. God, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. God bless you as you give back to the Lord. If you want to reconnect to your first love, to rededicate your life to Jesus, if you want to dedicate your life and fall in love with Jesus for the very first time, today's a good day to do that. Just bow your heads, close your eyes. It's just you and Jesus. Don't pay attention to your neighbors. If you want to Fall back in love with Jesus. Just raise your hand. 
If you want to recommit your life to Jesus, just raise your hand. We see you. We see you. I see you. If you've never accepted Jesus into your heart and if you want to fall in love with him, raise your hand. Amen. I'm going to give you one very simple assignment. This week, in your quiet place, it's just you and the Lord. You're not in church. You're not in a Bible study. You're not in a small group. It's just you and the Lord. Say, Jesus, reveal yourself to me. Speak to me. Minister to me. I love you, Jesus. Let me experience your love. In your imagination right now, think about Jesus as that white glowing figure that we don't really have words to express. He's radiant. He pulsates with frequencies that we can only hear when we're in the spirit. His eyes are a flame to fire. This being around his very presence is it's like you're going to die. You just think about that, Jesus. And think about this blessing when you think about a Jesus that is this radiant and beaming full of light. May the Lord, the Lord Christ Jesus, may he bless you. May he keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you in your whole being. May he be gracious towards you in those valleys and in those pits. May he fill your home with his goodness and his mercy if you're on a top of a mountain or in the valleys. May he fill your being with peace today. May you walk out today with the peace of God, which translates all of this craziness in this world. Fall in love with Jesus. Let his face shine upon you. God bless you all. Got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and